Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we are talking, finally, about Norwegian Space Disco. I've been really intrigued by it for weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Shadow in the Cloud and TV shows that make us cry. But first, we're going to welcome back K.W. Thank you. And yeah, I was so sad to miss a couple of recording sessions. My second vaccine dose really threw me for a loop and I was very, very not quite with it there for a couple of days, but I am 100% and it did go away pretty quickly. And uh, I want to just tell everybody as a public service announcement, please, please, please get your COVID vaccine. I don't have a microchip in my head. I'm not, my DNA is not changed. I'm <laughs> totally fine. But yeah, it's note that I, I just want to give this little statement because I think that some vaccine sites are like, they've got a lot of appointments available. There may have been a little drop off in people getting vaccinated. And I just want to say it's free. You don't even have to show mm -hmm. your insurance card. If you don't have insurance, it's still free. It's legitimately free to everyone. You just have to either find a site that takes walk-ins or register online or by phone. If you can't figure it out, please try to get with a friend who can help you get registered or help you get to a walk-in clinic. I just really, I'm very, very interested in having life get back to something resembling normal. So I want as many people to get vaccinated as possible. Mm -hmm. It's very easy too. The appointment is a couple minutes and then you wait around to see if you have a reaction for about 15 minutes, sometimes 30, depending on how allergic you are to things. And then you're out of there. And all you have to do pretty much is make sure you exercise your arm and stay hydrated. Yeah. Before and after. Yes. And I think they, they're saying that you can take, if you get a headache, which is a very common side effect after, you can take like Tylenol or something afterward, but try not to do it beforehand. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And my effects after the second dose really only lasted about 48 hours after the second dose. And then I was fine. So, but it, it was a little bit rough there for a minute. And I was glad that I had the opportunity to sleep. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're feeling all better? I'm feeling all better. Yeah, I got mine a couple days ago. So by the time this airs in about a week afterward, I will be fully vaccinated. So it's cool. very exciting. Yeah. Yesterday was my two, I call it two vax two Two weeks after the second dose is when you're really, really super immune. Yeah. And it's you're about as immune as you're going to get. So we're hoping maybe sometime this summer we can actually do a quote unquote live episode where we actually record together, which would be really fun. I'm very excited about that because we're yeah. in the same state for we are. the first time. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I'm excited to be back and I'm excited to talk about Norwegian space disco, which All was right. a topic that I chose like, what, a month ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> You kept me in limbo all this time. I don't I know. know what it is. <laughs> well, actually, let me explain, first of all. So this is a music genre, in case that wasn't obvious from the word disco. And actually, it's not exclusive to Norway. I think it's sort of funny to talk about it being, quote unquote, Norwegian space disco. Most of the people who create this music live in Norway or Scandinavian countries and, and whatnot. But actually, it derives from a genre of music called Italo disco, mm -hmm. which originated in Italy. So it's very much like all of these are, are very European dance music genres. Italo disco started in the 1980s. And it was 
fusing together a couple of different types of electronic dance music, high energy, Euro disco, a lot of electronic instruments, electronic drums, drum machines, synthesizers. And like it started sort of in Italy in 1982, and then it sort of split in the 1990s. And then space disco is one of its derivative styles. And that comes from another subgenre called space synth, which deliberately has science fiction themes of like space and robots and things. And it sort of was inspired by the music from Star Wars. Okay. But it was more synthesizer based. And then space disco comes out of space synth. And it's, it's combining a little bit more of an organic sound. So it still has a sort of science fiction-y synthesizer sense to it, but it also fuses Brazilian music and jazz, oh, which makes it a little bit more like pure 70s disco that was not electronic because that is sort of based in funk and R&B and stuff. So it's kind of, it has a very, even though it's European, it has a kind of American, like North and South American sound. Mm-hmm because it's got this kind of fusion element to it. It's almost it's almost like Afro music, Afro-cosmic music, inspired by groups like Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton and stuff. It's mostly instrumental, but there are some vocals. And it's just a really interesting, very relaxing genre that sounds okay. like you're on some kind of vacation. <laughs> like it's It's like, I have the feeling like, okay, if I'm going to a Caribbean resort, which would never happen because I have no money. But if it were <laughs> like I feel like this would be playing in the lounge of the hotel. Okay. I could get behind <laughs> that. I wasn't sure when you said space disco, I sort of imagined something frenetic. Oh no. But this sounds very nice. It's very like there I'm not gonna say there's no frenetic songs in this genre, mm-hmm. but most of them are very chill. There's one one of the artists, Lindstrom, which I'm not sure some of these names have like vowels in them with lines through them and stuff. So I'm going to mispronounce all of these people's <laughs> names. <laughs> but this one guy, I'm going to say Lindstrom is probably close to the pronunciation. He has a set of remixes of a song by one of the members of ABBA. Oh, and cool. it, it seems like a very straightforward kind of Swedish pop song, but it's got a lot of like techno influences, but it's very chill. Cool. And... I wouldn't call it super chill. There's a whole nother genre of electronic music called chill wave, and it's not quite that chill, but it's sort of like, it's good for studying. It's good for writing. It's good for doing work. It's probably not good for driving, though, because I do think it's <laughs> chill enough that you might get a little sleepy. <laughs> it's not as repetitive as some forms of electronic dance music. I know my husband hates it because he finds it very repetitive. Mm. Like, if I play some out loud... He's like, okay, after a minute, I get it. Like, you can be done. It doesn't need to go on for 10 minutes. I'm like, no, but that's part of why it's cool. It's yeah. nice. And I think we've talked about this before, that during stressful times, something that is a little bit repetitive can be mm-hmm. comforting. Yes. Because you don't have to really, like, once you do get that first minute, you're like, okay, that's the song, and I will enjoy hearing this replayed with slight variation for 10 minutes. So, But some of the artists in this genre... There's actually a French band just called Space, and they're a little older. They're from the 70s and 80s, and I like some of their stuff. But the people who sort of are inspired by them, Lindstrom, who I mentioned before, Prince Thomas. And actually, Prince Thomas is who I first got into, and my friend Josh recommended him because Josh and I both work from home, 
and we like to listen to very chill music while we're working. And he was like, oh, you need to hear Prince Thomas. And Prince Thomas collaborates with Lindstrom a lot. Okay. And some of the other artists in the genre include Paul Nyhus, Bjorn Porska. <laughs> You're doing better than I would. <laughs> Lindstrom's full name is Hans Peter Lindstrom. Okay. Like I said, Prince Thomas, Todd Terja. And there's a guy who just goes by Disc Jockey, but it's spelled D-I-S-K-J-O-K-K-E, which I find <laughs> hilarious. Andre Bratton. There's some really great pre-done space disco playlists on Spotify. And if you find one that you like, just note that note all the umlauts and weird strike-through vowels <laughs> for everybody's <laughs> names in the artist list. But I think that's probably a really good place to start is to look on your favorite music streaming device or even YouTube and find a good pre-done playlist of space disco. But if you even just look for Prince Thomas and Lindstrom, you're going to get a really excellent kind of cross-section. And I will say one of my favorite songs in the genre is a song called Closing Shot by Lindstrom. And the reason I like it is because it's almost a fusion with synthwave and it sounds like a lost theme song from a 1980s heist movie. <laughs> um, and it's just like so uplifting and has really inst interesting instrumentation. Mm -hmm. It's weirdly happy. And it just has a little bit of an action feel to where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining like, I don't know, like you could cut scenes from Ocean's Eleven to it or something like it just <laughs> feels really like, oh, we're going on an adventure. And it's kind of maybe a little sketch. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, it, it feels like people going on some kind of a little bit spurious mission or something. It's okay. hard to describe. Yeah, that's very specific. <laughs> I know. I just have very strange ways that I think of music, but I like it. It's a fun genre. It's it's great, like I said, for working from home or reading or something. And especially if you're reading, like, I was reading a very kind of pulpy legal thriller recently, and I would listen to this a lot while I was reading it. And it was a great combo. So yeah. Cool. That is really interesting. And I'm glad you explained it to me because I had the wrong concept entirely. But <laughs> yeah, it sounds really cool. It sounds like something I will try out when I'm at work and need yeah. some chill music to do work to. Cool. Try it out. Yeah. Cool. But you recently watched a movie that yeah. you were really digging so we can shift genres wildly. Yes. So tell wildly. me about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this movie is called Shadow in the Cloud and it is written by Roseanne Liang and Max Landis and it was directed by Roseanne Liang. I don't remember exactly how this got on my radar, but it's set in World War II, and it stars Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh. And I really like World War II stuff about pilots. Mm. So this kind of piqued my interest, and I really didn't have a lot of idea of what it was about, but I rented it, and I was like, let's, let's do this. We're gonna, we're gonna find out what this is about. <laughs> and turns out I really, really liked it, and it's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> so Chloe Grace Moretz stars as Maud, and she is, she's a pilot, and she's traveling, she sort of hops on to an all-male crewed B-17 to deliver top-secret documents somewhere. And she's a last-minute addition, 
So all the boys kind of give her a hard time. And they're all honestly pretty disgusting and gross. And I was just like, please stop speaking because you are making me upset. So like, just let her do her job. <laughs> so it's really interesting because the first, it's it's a short movie. It's like 90 minutes. And almost the first half of it takes place in like the turret. Shoot. What is it called? The ball turret? I don't know. Anyway. Okay, so, <laughs> I don't know, they don't have a lot of room on board or something, and they stick her, like, in this little part of the plane below everything else, and the whole first half of the movie takes place in this little tiny area. Like, she can barely move, she's already got, like, a broken arm, Oh, and she is connected to the, to the radio, so everyone is talking to her, and she can talk to everyone. But she is cramped up in this space, and it gives it a really claustrophobic feel, Mm -hmm. which is fun. (laughs) So she's in this little ball turret that sticks out of the bottom of the plane, so she can kind of see what's going on around her, but it's nighttime, and there are clouds and everything, and these men are giving her a hard time, and she's just like, when she went down there, she had to pass off her, It's it's like a big bag of something top secret. And she gives it to one of the men and she's like, do not open it. It has to stay upright. You have to protect it with your life. So they're all upset because she's on this mission. They didn't really get briefed for it. And they don't know why. They're just giving her a hard time because they're like, oh, women aren't pilots and and all that kind of crap. So I was getting really angry and I was like, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So as she's down in the ball turret, she sees something on the wing of the plane and she is trying to get them to understand like hey there is something out there and they won't listen to her and it's a big thing but then i i i'm sorry i don't want to give away a lot of what happens but basically it becomes half of a monster movie (gasps) oh what's out on the wing is a gremlin And Gremlins sort of became popularized around this time period because it was sort of shorthand for like things that go wrong with airplanes. Uh The movie starts out with a little contemporary cartoon about like watching out for Gremlins and stuff and make sure you take care of your airplane. So this movie takes that very literally and there's an actual (laughs) Gremlin after the plane and specifically after Maude, which you find out as the movie goes on but basically like it shifts gears halfway through it becomes it goes from claustrophobic kind of horror film to actiony monster movie and chloe grace moretz just gets to kick butt (laughs) (laughs) and there are some interesting revelations about her character that i don't want to spoil and i hate not being able to talk about it because there are some There are some really interesting things that Roseanne Liang is trying to say Uh about women and, oh, I can't even say the second word that I was going to. But yeah, I think, I just think it was a lot of fun. It was really unexpected and off the wall. And it's not a movie to watch if you like to have everything make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Because everything is really, really bananas, but 
the more bananas it got, the more I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I don't want to spoil the plot too, too much, but it's just, yeah, it's a great, like, kick butt movie if you like women kicking butt and the World War II setting. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds really fun. Wow. Yeah, I think you, I think you would get a kick out of it. I don't know if you would love it or want to watch it more than once, but I'll probably watch it more than once. (laughs) Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And you said you rented it. Is it available on like Amazon for rent or? Yes. Okay. I rented it through Amazon, but you could probably get it on other streaming services. I think it came out in March. Okay. So it's relatively new. I don't think it's free anywhere yet. Okay. Well, cool. I'll check that out. Yeah. It's worth renting it to, you know, I think to support a woman of color in film, I think that's really cool. So yeah, I would highly suggest it if you want something fun. Awesome. But we're going to switch gears again to go from (laughs) bonkers to stuff that makes you cry, which I mean, can be bonkers in, in its own way. Some of the stuff can get a little out there, but specifically, we're going to talk about a few TV shows that tend to make us cry and we want to talk about emotional catharsis through media Mm -hmm. yeah where do you want to start well i know that we want to focus on a couple of shows before we get into those more specific shows i want to mention a couple weeks ago we had robin on to talk about the good fight and a little bit about the good wife and i will say that the last time that i really really cried watching something was watching an episode of the good wife from season five where something happened that I knew was going to happen because the show was old by the time I was watching it, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. And I had tried to stay mostly unspoiled about the circumstances. And then it occurred and it was done in a way that was, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry thinking about it. No, It was done so well and so sort of shockingly, but not in an exploitative way. Mm -hmm. It was the most realistic depiction of grief in a TV show that I've seen since since the very notorious episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where her mom dies. And it was t- a two-episode arc where they cover this particular event. And I it was very late at night, but I couldn't stop watching until I got past the episodes that were so raw. Mm-hmm. And I was crying so hard, I could barely see. And oh I my was, gosh. my eyes were all puffy. And it was just like, It was very well done. But it also indicates like, I thought it was good because it shows how one person's death, it was a death of a character, affects people who have a varying set of relationships with that person. So Mm -hmm. you see how it affects people at work, you see how it affects people who are involved with the person, people who are friends with the person, people who didn't even really know the person very well, but it was still kind of just random and, and abrupt and sudden. Yeah. And it was just very very well done. And I think that for actors, it must be both hard and also kind of satisfying to play such raw emotional moments. Right. So yeah. And so the thing that the thing about this kind of phenomenon is that it can come in any show, even one that doesn't necessarily focus on grief a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think those are really pivotal, interesting moments in the legacy of a long running show. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm trying to figure out where to go from there. Yeah. Well, but some 
some shows are sort of built around the idea that grief is going to be baked into what it's about. And I think that that's true. This is us and a million little things are the ones that we wanted to mostly focus on. Mm -hmm. So have you watched both of those or which one are you more into or and why? I'm more into a million little things because, well, I've watched a few episodes of This Is Us and I probably will go back and watch some some more. I know my family really likes that. Mm -hmm. But I think when it got started, I just wasn't like it was hard for me to keep up with. Mm -hmm. And the reason I got into a million little things was it's all on Hulu. Mm -hmm. And I got into it like while I was packing up my room (laughs) and stuff. So it was just easy to have on in the background. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I like it, I mean, they're very similar. You can talk more about This Is Us because you're more familiar with it. But Mm -hmm. they're focused on just the real lives of people there's no like you know no speculative elements or anything like that and it's all about the relationships between different people but the reason i kind of connected a little bit more with a million little things i think is because it is centered around a friend group Uh rather than a family Uh so i just thought that was kind of interesting yeah yeah and i think that's an interesting distinction because both groups of people this is us focuses on And you know from the first episode of these shows, This Is Us is focused on the aftermath of the death of the father of this family, and A Million Little Things is focused on the aftermath of the suicide of one of the friends in this friend group. Mm -hmm. So you've got a found family that is connected primarily just through friendship and a little bit of some familial relationships. And then This Is Us is focused on a family that also has some adoptive members in the family and I think it does a really good job of talking about adoption and cross-racial adoption, which is another subject in that. But Mm -hmm. both of them still have to deal with almost not really full-on PTSD, but but a little bit of that. And how grief, when it's something very sudden, seemingly preventable and tragic, you know, what happens with the people that they leave behind. Mm -hmm. And both of them show a lot of flashbacks to the person's life and there's some mystery element in both shows about how the person really died, what were the circumstances there. And so I think that part can be compelling too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I resisted both shows for a while because I knew they were going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not always, I think also people may not realize that it's not only about the grief, mm-hmm. that there are happy moments and happy episodes and funny things. And I think that makes them more real and it is also about healing too yeah and i think i'm sure this is us does this too but it's about healing in different ways and Mm -hmm. not everyone does it in the same way so it's about respecting that and figuring out what works best for you as well Mm -hmm. yeah and i think some characters in this is us do a lot of blaming of like, why aren't you over this yet? Why aren't you in a better place with this yet? And that's unfair, because every person, even when it's a family, every person in the family has a slightly different relationship to the deceased and, and may have left the relationship on a better or worse note or feel different levels of survivor guilt or responsibility. And so yeah, we we should do a better job as a society of respecting how people grieve Mm -hmm. because it is going to look and feel different to everybody yeah 
I don't know if this comes up in This Is Us, but in A Million Little Things, they also talk about mental health a lot, which I find really compelling because it's something that doesn't get talked about often. Uh And one of the characters, Rome, who is my favorite character, Uh he has depression and they deal with it very upfrontly, if that's a word. (laughs) Yeah. And he tries different things. And it's one of those situations where he's like, I don't understand why I'm depressed because my life is so good. Uh And also he is black and he's male. So he's sort of got this double pressure of like, men don't really talk about their feelings and black men don't really talk about their feelings. So he's trying to find outlets and ways to overcome that upbringing Uh and that conditioning. And some of the other characters go through mental health things as well. One of the characters I really like is Maggie, and she is a psychologist. So she sort of guides the characters sometimes when when they're going through rough things. I think it's it's a good reminder that progress isn't always a straight line. Uh-huh. And sometimes you're going to backslide a little bit and have rough days. But one of the things that I really like about the show is they usually, unless they're in a really bad fight or something, <laughs> they usually have their friend group to lean on, uh-huh. which is a big part of their healing process, too. Yeah. Yeah. They they cover similar themes in This Is Us. The character Randall, who is also a black man, is shown having to finally pursue therapy after being resistant to it for a variety of, of reasons. And there's characters who have substance abuse issues, their uncle suffers from that. And everybody has different coping mechanisms, some of which are healthier than others. And just being honest about where they are emotionally with regard not only to their father's death, but then some struggles with health problems and day-to-day things that that come up. Randall is struggling from some PTSD from a home invasion that happens to him. And it brings up some feelings about his dad. So it's yeah, very, very similar themes. I think if, mm-hmm. if somebody likes one show, I think they will like the other. Mm-hmm. And I have not, I, I admit that I have not been watching the new seasons of either one yet, because I knew that This Is Us was doing COVID. And I was already doing some shows that were doing COVID. And I didn't really want to deal with another one, mm-hmm. at least not yet. So I may watch it now, now that I'm a little bit farther along in my vaccination <laughs> yeah. process. And yeah. I haven't finished season two yet of Million Little Things because okay. sometimes I actively don't watch it because I'm like, I don't want to cry today. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm pretty sure season three, the one that's currently airing, also deals with COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we need a little space from those. But I mean, they are good. And when I started This Is Us, it had already been on for a while. And I did binge the first season really, really quickly because I was very compelled by it. So yeah, I think I will go back and get caught back up with them. But yeah, in terms of like the benefit to us as a viewer, I think that especially when you're dealing with tough emotions and stress, that there is something good about emotional catharsis, even if it's not our own direct emotion, Mm -hmm. and that it can be healthy and helpful. And I know that watching that scene from The Good Wife, it was rough. And I was feeling a lot of things and it stuck with me for days, but not in a bad way. Like it was just, I was very impressed with the artistry and the, the depth of my reaction. I guess that's why it stuck with me. So Mm -hmm. 
And it probably did feel good physically to just cry a little bit, you know? Yeah. I wanted to kind of bring that up because I am not a super emotional person (laughs) (laughs) and I don't cry very often, but I still remember. So when I was in the Peace Corps 10 years ago, I had a really bad sore throat and I think the Peace Corps doctor actually, he diagnosed me with uvulitis. So I was just having like a really hard time swallowing and eating and I couldn't fall asleep because every time I swallowed, it hurt so bad that I would wake up. So I was on the phone with him and he was sort of like, when was the last time you cried? He was this sweet old Moldovan man (laughs) with an accent. And I was just like, what do you mean? I don't cry. (laughs) And he was like, no, 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 no. You need to get it out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I just, I think about that sometimes because you sort of just have to flush your system and get all those emotions out. And sometimes for me, at least, that is a little bit easier when I have something like a movie or TV show to focus on. And that makes me emotional enough to actually tear up and cry. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I just think about that often. So if you are someone like me who resists emotions, (laughs) (laughs) you might want to give these a shot and have a little cry and maybe you'll feel better afterwards. Yeah, that's a great point. I think we all could use a little catharsis these days and yeah. uh, doing it through the through the safety of knowing that every actor on both of these shows are all still alive and totally fine. It's all make-believe. It's not based on any true stories. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let yourself feel from the safety of fiction. Yeah. And if there are any listeners out there who have some TV show recommendations for when you really need to cry, (laughs) send them our way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, next week, we are going to do an all book episode discussing three fantasy novels that we've been digging. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. You can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.